That is, that is one of my favorite songs. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Today we're going to continue in our series at looking at some of the psalms this summer, right? We're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks at different psalms. And um, after the message today, we are going to take communion together. I'll give you a little more instructions when we get to that point. My question to you today before we get started is, is where do you turn in life when the challenges hit? When the difficulties come, where do you turn in life when everything in your world seems to be falling apart? When you don't feel like you can hold on any longer? Today we're going to look at Psalm 46. Be still and know. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew. And like I said last week, I encourage you this morning, pull your Bible out. Pull your Bible out. And, and if it's the paper copy in front of you, great. If you don't have a paper copy, you need to pull out your phone. That's okay as well, right? That's totally fine. Psalm 46. Why am I telling you that today? Well, you need to make sure that what I'm telling you is true, right? Right? That's right. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that we can read it, that we can study it, we can meditate on it. Father, we thank you for all the tools that you have given us to be able to study your word. We live in the generation with the most accessibility in commentaries and studying. And Father, we thank you for that. Help us to not waste it. Help us to be students of your word as we grow in our relationship with you. Father, may truth be communicated today and may truth be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be still and know. We get to verse 1 and we're going to work verse by verse like we do every week. Right? God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Now, we look at the very first line. God is our refuge and strength. That might seem really straightforward, right? Yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I believe that. But, but the question is, do you really? Right? Do we really believe that? Do we live it out in our lives? Think about, me, think about that with me for a moment. People run to all sorts of things in their life to find refuge. 
They turn to all sorts of things to try and find refuge. Whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, media, whatever it is, to try and find refuge from the storms of life. The psalmist makes a declaration. He says this. He says, listen, God, God himself is our refuge. The almighty creator is my refuge. He's the one that I turn to. See, the refuge is a place where we turn when the storms of life come, right? A place to find shelter, to find protection. The Bible says in Psalm 61, 3, For you have been my refuge. You you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. We'll look at this idea of a strong tower here in a moment. But it's a place you go to find safety, to find security, and that should be God himself. It paints a picture of God as a stronghold, as God as a fortress. Right, Martin Luther, he penned the words, right? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a refuge is needed in times of defense. But he's not only your refuge. He's not only the place where you go. He is also your strength in the storms and the difficulties of life. We try really hard to find our strength in other places too. He's the one that gives us strength to continue on each and every day. It's only by God's grace that we take another step and another breath each and every day. And as the most challenging things in life come, the truth is we cannot do it on our own. I'm getting ahead of myself. God is our refuge and strength. Now look at this, look at this next line. A very present help in trouble. So, so you have a troubled situation, but where's God? He's present, a very present help. He is always there. Verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Imagine with me for a moment if we watch this happen. Imagine watching whole cities disappear into the ocean. That'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? I mean, that would get people's attention, wouldn't it? That would make us stop and look. And the psalmist writes, listen, we're we're not going to be afraid. Even if the most catastrophic thing were to occur on this earth, we're not to live in fear. I grew up surrounded by the Andes Mountains. If all of a sudden, these mountains, which tower thousands of feet up into the air, were to collapse, that would get everybody's attention. Yet we're not to be afraid. The psalmist is describing a terrible scenario, a horrific scenario. And the response of the believer is what? It's to realize that you have a refuge and strength, and it's not what's this. It's not a part of this world, right? Instead, it's God Almighty. He's the one who is your refuge. He's the one that you turn to when the most difficult times come, when the most horrific things happen. He is the one that we look to and the one that we turn to. 
We don't fear because he is our refuge and our strength. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. What is the city of God? It would be Jerusalem, right? There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, now it's a little interesting, this verse, because there isn't a major river which flows into Jerusalem. There's some smaller rivers, streams, creeks kind of thing, idea, but there isn't a major river. So there's two things that we can look at when we look at this verse. One is that the psalmist is looking at God's tremendous power. Even though there's not a major river which runs into Jerusalem, The psalmist realizes that it's the Lord's provision, the Lord's provision, which makes glad the city of God. It's God himself, and he provides in that way. Another way is that the psalmist could also be looking toward the future. Because in the new Jerusalem, there's going to be a river. Revelation 21.2, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her, Husband, and we look at Revelation 22 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We don't fear in this life because we know what lies ahead. We realize that, that even though the mountains might crumble and everything might fall apart, we know that God provides what we need to accomplish, what he has for us to accomplish on this earth. And if everything, if everything in the world would disappear, would crumble, we don't have to be afraid because we rest in the one who's over all, the one who's in control, the one who is our refuge. He's our strength. And we realize that he provides what we need. To accomplish what he has for us to do. He provides what is sufficient for the task that he calls you to. Verse 6, a nation's rage. Oop, I got, I'm going to go ahead myself. I'm sorry. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Again, we see this idea of, of God's provision. The city's not moved because God doesn't allow it to move. God provides. God is overall. And then we get to verse 6. And this is, this is a fascinating verse, right? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Understand the tremendous power of the God that we serve. All of the time that nations invest in building up military equipment and things like that, yet God, at his voice, at his voice, could melt it all. It's amazing when you look back over history to look at God's protection and provision of the Jewish people. Think about that with me for a moment. It doesn't make any sense that the Jewish people are still here, outside of a sovereign God who is watching over the nation. Praise the Lord. We get to verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When we're told the title Lord of hosts, if you have an uh, NIV this morning, it says Lord Almighty, right? What, what are we told? What does this help us to understand about who God is? It's the same thing that's used in 1 Samuel 17, 45. And this is when David and Goliath are going back and forth, right? And David said to the Philistine, David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The title of the Lord of hosts is one that reminds us of God's great power. It is the God of the armies of heaven. The Lord of heaven's armies. You know, when David came to Goliath, 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. How big Goliath would have been. How young David would have been. And what a huge task this was for such a young person. Yet he comes to him and, and look what he says. Because this is, this is fascinating. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It's a lot of maturity for a young person, isn't it? To come in and say, listen, <laughs> I realize there's a task in front of me, but this isn't about me. See, I don't come with my authority or my strength. I, I, come, I come to you this morning with, with the strength that comes from the Lord of hosts. See, in the giants that we face in our life, the difficulties that come in our life, is that we, we need to understand is that we're not to take them on our own. Because on our own, we will fail. I don't come to the giants in my life by my own strength. Instead, I need to come through his strength. One of the statements that goes throughout the Christian world is that God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that before? God will never give you more than you can handle. I despise. You, you hear me. Some people get to these, these statements I don't like. I, I can't stand that one. Why? Because it's all about me. Right? God will never give me more than I can handle. No. God's never going to give me more than he can handle. Because he's, he gives me stuff that I can't handle all the time. That in my strength and in my confidence and in my wisdom, I, I am not even close to being able to overcome. Yet through Christ and through the Spirit working in my life, I can overcome those things. And the psalmist says here, listen, the Lord of hosts is with us. When the, when the earth is crashing down, when the most difficult things come in life, the Lord of hosts is with me. The God of the armies of heaven is with me. Realize what power exists in that statement. God will never give you more than he can handle. So the next time someone tells you, you know, God, God never gives you more than I can handle, put your arm around him and be like, no, 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 no. God will never give you more than he can handle. See, David couldn't defeat Goliath alone, and we can't handle things that come in life on our own. The stress, the difficulties, the anxiety, the battles, but the truth is we're not alone, right? Jesus says in Matthew 28, and behold, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. And we get another statement that exists in this same verse. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. Uh, who, who is Jacob? Who was Jacob? What do we know about Jacob? Well, we know that he would have been dead many, many years before this was written. Hundreds of years. But the psalmist points to the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is my fortress. We know many things about Jacob. Scripture gives us uh, multiple uh, views into his life and things that happened. We know he wasn't perfect. We know he fell short. We know his name means deceiver. God gave him a new name or another name by which he could be called. Yet the psalmist points to the God of Jacob, an imperfect person. Why is that? It's one of the things I'm convinced of is that we need to make sure that we are telling the next generation of God's glory, 
his holiness, his faithfulness, his mercy. Psalm 78, we read this sometimes when we have uh, child dedications. Let me read this to you. Verses 1 through 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that have, we have heard and known. Look at this. That our fathers have what? They've told us. They've told us. And we're not going to hide them. We will not hide them from the children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Tell of what God has done. Why do they go back to Jacob? Because Jacob's a part of their history. In the story of Jacob, we see God's faithfulness, his mercy, his deliverance. We see God's grace and we see God's power. Jacob didn't always do the right thing. He made mistakes. Yet, the psalmist points back to the God of Jacob. I wonder, I wonder today, how much do we speak of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's holiness to the next generation? It's one thing to do it from here, right? But it really needs to happen in the homes. Parents and grandparents you need to instruct your children and grandchildren in the ways of the Lord, yes. But tell them. Tell them about how God has worked in your life. Tell them your story of what God saved you from, of God's mercy in your life, of his faithfulness, of his deliverance. That one day your children can look back and say, you know <laughs> My mom's God, my dad's God, my grandfather's God, that was the same God of Jacob, and that's my God. I remember that story that happened in the life of, of my family member in the way that, that God, the way that God moved. That God, the God that protected my family through this, that's, he's my fortress. The God of the word. This God is our refuge, he's our strength, he's our fortress. And we get to verses 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Again, the psalmist highlights the tremendous power of God. The insignificance of all of the armies on the face of the planet compared to the strength and the power of Almighty God. In verse 10, maybe one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The first two words, be still. Do you ever find yourself in a place? Well, what this is not communicating to you today is, is that you need to just stay in the same place, idle in your Christian life, right? That's not what's being communicated. Be still speaks more of an awe that should exist before Almighty God. There is no discussion. There is no debate. He is God. Be still. I remember when I was a kid, and uh, we were driving through the Andes Mountains. My, my grandfather, this is on my mom's side, my grandfather, he was a pastor. 
and uh, my grandmother, uh, they, they came down. They would come down to Bolivia about once a year to come visit us. They'd get on a plane. It was really cool because oftentimes as missionary kids, you don't get family members that come and visit you, right? Um, but we were, we were really blessed. We had one set of grandparents that were missionaries in Bolivia with us. So we got to really spend a lot of time with them. But my mom's parents who didn't live in Bolivia would come down once a year. And we would go and we'd do some sightseeing sometimes when they would come down. I remember one time we were driving through the mountains, and I, I don't remember where we were going. Maybe we were going out to where my other grandparents lived about five, uh, five, four or five hours into the Andes Mountains with the Quechua people. Or maybe we were going to uh, somewhere in the jungle. I, I just don't remember. But I remember that at some point we're driving through the mountains on, on these Bolivian roads, right? And there's no... Uh, if there is a little bit of a railing, it's really small. It's, it's basically straight down, right? And, 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 but, but one of the things that you get with that is you get to see all of God's beauty. Creation. Of course, not all of God's beauty, but all the beauty that God created. And I remember the car stopped. For some reason, we stopped the car. And I remember my, my grandfather and my grandmother walking, and they walked to close to the edge of where the cliff was and looked over at the valley that was there and all of the mountains that were over here. And, and, and I remember hearing, um, I was still sitting in the car, and I remember hearing them begin to sing, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. And I remember sitting in the car, and I remember hearing that, and I could only hear it from a distance. But what they were doing is they found themselves at a place of being still. And worshiping their creator. They stopped where they were. And I know I just said it's not about being idle. But at that moment they found themselves in complete awe of the almighty. I wonder how often in our lives do we find ourselves in that scenario. I can still picture them standing there with their arms around each other. Beginning to sing, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Be still and know. There's an assurance, there's a confidence that we need to have as believers that God is God. It doesn't say be still and wonder, be still or suppose, be still and hope. Be still and know with confidence that he is God. There's an assurance that exists there. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Romans 14, 11. And I don't have that up there with me. Let me read it to you. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. Not some knees, not some people, but every single person will bow before the Almighty someday. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there's going to come a day when every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Some who have chosen to reject, yet they will bow. Every person who has denied the existence of God, every Muslim, every Hindu, every atheist, every Buddhist, they will have no choice. They will bow before Jesus Christ. 
And then we get to verse 11. And this isn't a mistake. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Didn't we just read this a minute ago? Now you know that in Scripture, whenever something is repeated, you need to pay extra attention to it, right? And we just talked about it. Didn't we just work through all of this? We did. But look how the psalmist chooses to end this psalm. God is our fortress. You know, I, I remember when we would take mission trips down to Bolivia, we will take a, a day usually and go up into the mountains where my grandparents used to work and we'd do like a VBS kind of thing. But then we would also go and we'd go and see the Inca ruins. And I've, I've seen multiple different sites uh, of where the Inca civilization used to exist. Walking through buildings that were built hundreds of years ago. And it's so impressive to see the way that they did their construction and, and how they set up their, their different, um, different locations, the, the watchtowers that they would have, where they would build, all of the thought process that went into that. And you look at some of the stones that they moved to build these things, and it makes no sense how they would get them there. It just, it, it's amazing. Yet today, only a small part of what used to exist still stands. Mankind has spent thousands of years building fortresses that we thought would protect us. Places where people hid, where they sought refuge. But at some point, each and every one of those fortresses has eroded, has faded, has been destroyed, or will erode, fade, or be destroyed. There's only one fortress that will never crumble. And it has nothing to do with me. Isn't that assuring? Reassuring? To know that, that God's, God as your fortress, as your refuge, has nothing to do with you? God is just as strong with us as he is without us. He doesn't need us. But he chose to demonstrate his love to us. The psalmist ends by saying, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The psalm ends with a powerful reminder that we're not alone in this journey. That the difficulties that you face, God is there for you. He's a refuge. As believers, God should be our strength. The place that we turn on good days and bad days. And we can live reassured, knowing that the integrity of the fortress of God has nothing to do with me. Yet I can turn to him in the most difficult days as well as in the most joyous days. And he's just as strong, just as powerful. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for 
this psalm. We thank you for what we are taught through it. Father, we thank you that, that we can rest in you. Father, we thank you for the greatest story of grace in sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, we realize we fall short in so many different ways. Today, Father, I... I ask that you would help us to turn to you, to rest in you. We realize, Lord, that we are incomplete without you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to take communion together. Jesus commands us to do this, right? To take communion together and to remember his sacrifice. Now, you don't have to be a member of Mount Vernon Christian Church to take communion with us. Uh, what we do ask, though, is that you are a believer. And so if you're not a believer, uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we do ask that you would please remain in your seat um, during this time. Um, we, we have a lot of new faces since the last time that we took communion together in this way. Uh, so let me give you a couple of instructions. Um, what we do is we ask that you leave your pew, stand up, and come to the front. At that time, you'll be able to take both of the elements, uh, the cup and the bread, and you'll be able to return to your seat. Um, make sure I get it all right. It's been a while since we've done it this way. Before we begin here in a minute, um, Bill's going to start playing on the keyboard, and we're going to have a time of reflection uh, it's a personal time for each and every person to search their heart, to ask God to bring out anything that needs to be brought to him. Um, and then at, at some point uh, throughout that time, uh, Gracie will start singing. And at that time when she begins to sing, we ask that you stand up and come forward. And then that you hold the elements uh, once you get to your seat and we'll partake them together. At this time, would the elders please come forward uh, that are going to be helping here today. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is free. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. <coughs> Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's spend time in, in personal reflection here today. And when the singing starts, you may come forward.
was a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your side so you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt i owe broke my chains freed my soul for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting
pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf, for the body that was broken. Lord, we did nothing to deserve it. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. For the redemption that you have given us. We thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. In the same way... Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. And because of that sacrifice, because of what Jesus did, there's victory. Amen? There's victory found in Jesus. So we're going to end today. We're going to end our service today by singing about that victory. The victory that was won on Calvary's cross. Three days later when he rose again from the dead. There's victory. And victory is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. Let's stand together and sing to our Lord.